Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Anna Willett writes thrillers so scary, they're best read with the lights on. That's what the critics say, and her readers love them that way. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Anna talks about facing her worst fears through her nail-biting books and the traumatic experience she had as a teen that has coloured her work. But before we get to Anna, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Anna's books, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast, where to leave a review, and even an opportunity to go into a draw for a free book. Have a look now on thejoysofbingereading.com. But now, here's Anna. Hello there, Anna, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you, Jenny. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, look, I always start with a predictable question, but I do know it's one that readers like to have the answer to. Was there a once upon a time moment that sort of catapulted you into writing fiction? And if so, what was the catalyst? I don't think there was only one catalyst, but I've always wanted to write. And even as a child, I would write short stories. But then marriage and studying and having children and working sort of eclipsed all of those ideas for many years. And so it wasn't until my daughters were older and I had time to actually consider what is it that I want to do that I decided to take writing seriously. And I started writing short stories. And then about six years ago, I wrote, I started writing my first novel. Fantastic. So now you've got to nine suspense thrillers that are described as real nail biters, the sort of thing that they advise, be sure to leave the lights on. And I can vouch for that. What attracted you to that particular niche of genre, the psychological thriller? That genre has always appealed to me. And I don't really know what that says about my personality. But um, I do enjoy being able to examine the character's emotional state. And I feel like it's a meaty genre for me because I've always been interested in what motivates people in terms of their behaviour. So it's something fascinating for me to write about. And psychological thrillers sort of allow you to dig into unstable emotions in a character. And I feel like then if I'm doing a good job with that, I can create a sense of fear and paranoia and claustrophobia in my reader. And it sounds crazy, but for me, that's kind of the fun of the psychological thrill- thriller. Yes, and I'm sure it is for the readers, the, the ones who like those sorts of stories. They yes. really enjoy having the, themselves sort of scared out of their socks, don't they? Yes, yes. And as a reader, that's what I enjoy when I'm reading these types of books. And so I want to write the sort of things that I know I would like to read. Yeah. Now, there must be a little bit of a psychological aspect of you also facing your own fears. I know a critic suggested about one of the books, The Woman Behind Her, that it was, the theme of it was facing your own fears. 
And I guess this question comes up quite often from readers, but where do you come up with those ideas? Is it like thinking of the most terrifying thing you could think of that would happen to you and writing about it? Um, look, thinking about the most terrifying thing, it, it really, it allows you to get a reaction from the character and it sort of peels back the layers. And face it, the theme of facing your fears it has worked for me in that I'm able to understand why people fear things and why I fear things and um, what motivates that fear. But for me then as a writer with, a, I think, quite a vivid imagination, it hasn't helped any of those fears because in every situation my mind races ahead to what's the worst possible thing that can happen in this situation. Yeah. And so even for me in my personal life, if I'm boarding a plane or I see something, I'm always thinking 100 miles ahead, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I think that that's what I take to my writing. But, yeah, it's it's really, it reveals a lot about the character you're writing about when you put them in the worst possible situation. And I guess that it, there's also an underlying thing of being satisfied when they come through, even if they are you know, hurt or harmed during the process, that somehow they survive and are stronger, theoretically, stronger for it, or at least that they have the resilience to see it through. There is an underlying sort of positive thing, isn't there? There is. And I always like them to come away from it having grown, having learned, having learned something, and they might be scarred and changed in some ways, but it, it kind of um, gets under the skin of their character and reveals who they really are. And even though sometimes it's fun to have them do very silly things in dangerous situations, by the end of the story, I hope that the readers feel satisfied that the characters have come on a journey and they've learned something about themselves or they've grown or they're stronger. Yeah, yeah. And have, has your approach to writing this kind of story changed over time? It has. It certainly has had a huge change since I began I, when I started writing novels, I, I had zero planning. I would just have the ideas that came to me and I would start. And so now I'm a partial plotter. So that's a big change for me because I do do some plotting, some write out some outlines for chapters and have more of a character profile going on. But I certainly work a lot faster now. Um, I um, write a lot faster and I, I'm also, I think, now a lot more confident about what I want to achieve. Yes, yeah, yeah. I thought that the scenario that you established for the book called Cold Valley Nightmare was one that many women would identify with. It's the story of a woman's four-year-old son is kidnapped and then her husband is suspected of being involved and I think she hires a private detective to try and prove his innocence. It's a little bit like that TV show, The Fugitive, in a way, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is. It is a little bit like that. Um, that was I'm sort of inspired by uh, quite a well-known case here in Australia of a little boy that's gone missing and hasn't been found. And it's not that story, but it sort of inspired this idea, I think, uh, you know, um, I had the idea of this is what I think could have happened. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's where that story came from. But 
as a parent myself, that is the most terrifying situation yes, you could be in. Yes, totally. And um, in Unwelcome, yes, which I must say I'm partway through at the moment, that's described on your website as your bestseller and it's a weekend getaway yeah. in the country that goes terribly wrong. We won't have any more spoilers than that. What sets this one apart, do you think, in terms of popularity? Well, it has been my most successful so far and that's something I often say to my husband. I'm, this one always seems to be the most successful and the only thing I can think that sets it apart is um the story has a connection to my own life and my past as far as some parts of the story are inspired by what happened. When I was 14 years old, a classmate of mine was abducted in broad daylight and um, the main character in the story has had a similar childhood experience. And so I drew on what happened to the girl I knew and her close friends and me as her classmate and her family and the community. And so I think I was, I think there's an authenticity to to what I write about and the impact that that's had on the people that are left behind. That's a terrifying scenario to face up to. And, and yeah, it was a terrifying scenario. And it's kind of, I think maybe in some ways that drew me to this crime genre perhaps because you know, it was one of those situations that you never think you'll find yourself in. Yes. And um, without wanting to go into details, was did you find a resolution in that particular case? Was Did you find out in the end what had happened to her? We did. Nine years later, her body was discovered about 100 metres from where she went missing under a concrete slab at the back of one of the shops. How, how strange. In the shed. Gosh. Yeah, one of the shopkeepers was arrested and um, convicted of her murder. Amazing that that could happen without anybody really witnessing it. On a Saturday yeah. afternoon. So, and then um, my best friend and I, my best friend lived around the corner from where it happened. We spent many years thinking that could have been you, that could have been me because we were always together. And and we saw what it did to her family. Her father took his own life and um, her mother was on a lot of antidepressants and different things and ended up on dialysis and losing her life. So the entire family was decimated and I think it's something that has always stayed with me in this, you know, um, what are the repercussions of these crimes? Yes, yes. And that leads nicely on. I, I also observe that your work is really... It's gritty reality, and in one of some of your book descriptions, you specify that they're non-supernatural, and I get the yeah. feeling that that perhaps you feel that resorting to supernatural um, denouements or, or plot devices is kind of almost a bit of an easy out. You want to really face up to the gritty reality. That's it. Yes, and for me as a reader and as a writer, the grittiness is important when writing about crime because I don't want to shy away from the starkness of violence and how it impacts on the victims and the perpetrator. And so I don't like to gloss over the reality of that side of it, the emotional side. Um, as a reader, I'm sort of drawn to that hard-hitting story. And so I suppose because I write the stories I like to read, that's the way I write. And you you know, it's not glamorous. Violence is not glamorous. And I, I want that to be in my books. It's not, I don't put it in there to make them more frightening. 
I think it just adds to the realism. Yes, and I don't think that you've used gratuitous violence, though, do you? No. You don't? I, I, I try. I hope no. not. I, that's not what I'm aiming for. But um, I'm not ruling out supernatural horror at some stage. <laughs> Probably be a different series, wouldn't it, or a different, uh, yeah. Completely different. <laughs> now, it's interesting actually mentioning that word series because I see two of them, Small Town Nightmare and Cold Valley Nightmare, are described as being in a series, the Lucy Hush series. And it did occur to me that with this type of book where you put people through such a traumatic set of experiences that it might be quite hard to do a series because you're then turning around and submitting them to the same sort of horrible stuff all over again. Is it is it hard to write series in this form of genre? Um, it is hard on the characters, but I think also that the experiences sort of colour their reactions and their relationships. And um, <clears throat> in the Lucy Hush series and the reoccurring characters, they've been through so much. And so that has to be evident in their thought process in the next story and as different things unfold. Yes. So in some ways it's hard because you keep putting them through this trauma, but in other ways, other ways it becomes almost a pleasure to write because the characters evolve and grow and have so many more layers that I can draw on. And so when I'm writing something new, I can draw on what happened to them and this is why they feel the way they do and why they're, you know, they've changed and they can no longer hang, handle it like they used to. And so it has helped in that way. And I'm just wrapping up the third in this series now yes. at the moment. So um, I feel like I know the characters really well. I always feel a bit mean putting them through some of the things that have happened to them at this stage, <laughs> but only almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, and I noticed that quite a few of them are available free on Kindle. If people want to have a chance to taste some of your work, there's quite a number of your books that are available for free on Kindle, aren't they? Is that part of a long-term marketing strategy? Or Well, my publisher is The Book Folks, which is a small press in the UK. Okay, yes. And so it, this is their marketing strategy. I believe they put them out free for a short time and then some they'll put out at 99 cents. Okay, yep. And I think this is their strategy and it certainly seems to be working. Um, I couldn't be happier with everything they've done for me and how much effort they put into my novels and making them successful. Oh, that's a, that's a wonderful endorsement to hear. So you went, yeah. you went that route of finding a publisher then. Have you got an agent as well? I haven't got an agent. Um, I thought about it, but I don't know. I don't know if I need one. Perhaps I do. At the moment, I'm just... I'm sort of happy with what the book folks are doing for me, but I'm not ruling out getting an agent at some stage. And how many books are you writing, say, a year? Are you, are you doing more than one a year? I'm writing three <gasps> at the moment a year. Oh, my gosh, that's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And I take probably about a two-week break between books and then start the next yeah. one. And um, so I'm writing every day. So, yeah, it is a lot, but I feel like I'm almost unbottling after years of having all these ideas. Yes. And do you think you'll stick with the psychological thriller or have you got any thoughts about moving into a slightly different genre? Um, I probably will stick with the psychological thrillers. As I've said, I'm not really ruling out supernatural yeah, yeah, horror at yeah, some stage. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
with the thrillers, some of them are action thrillers, some of them are mystery thrillers, some of them are more psychological thrillers. A lot of people call them horror thrillers. So within that one genre, there's quite a lot of room to do different things. Yeah, yeah. Turning a little to your wider career away from the specific books, tell us a bit about what you, how you spent your time before you did become a full-time writer and how has that life experience impacted on your writing? Right. So before I became a full-time writer, of course, I'm a wife and a mother and, and I w- was a teacher and it has impacted on my writing in that I think I've lived and I've experienced and I've lost and I've been through a lot of um, different things in my life, nothing as tragic as anyone in my books, but I think I don't think I could have done what I do now when I was younger. I think it's taken all this life experience to be able to bring as much emotion for the characters and and understand them the way I do. I don't think I could have done that, say, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And is there one thing you've done, perhaps more than any other, that you would credit with your success as a writer? Uh, Yes, actually. I think that I've been open to a lot of advice and help and every step along the way, the people that I've dealt with, with editors and different things, I've always been given a lot of advice and help and I'm very open and flexible to those sorts of things. I don't feel rigid about, no, my way is the best way and I'm not compromising what I do. I, I like to take on board what people are telling me and even with my publisher and the editors, if they give me some new great advice on what I can do to improve my writing, I'll take it. And I think that's why I've been successful. Yes. Yeah. Do you do much rewriting? I do a lot of editing. I do a lot of editing. I go over it. I do. Sometimes I'm rewriting the same paragraph for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then other times I'm flying along. Um, sometimes the publisher has me rewrite some things I've even taken chapters out and put new chapters in and rewritten the ending. I don't mind doing any of that. If I feel like they're telling me this is going to make the story better, I'll do whatever they tell me to yeah. do. And do you consider that they're actually set in, they, they are set in Australia, but the settings are quite neutral, aren't they? They're not, they don't madly push Australia down your throat. Do you think that a lot of readers wouldn't even really understand that they are Australian? Yes, yes. A lot of readers um, might not be so sure they're Australian. I've had a lot of comments that people didn't realise they were Australian until they, I've mentioned something like a kookaburra or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I'm not pushing it down people's throat. And I don't want people to go away with that stereotypical image of Australians you know, and, and the way we speak and the things we say. Um, I also think it's a bit fascinating for some people in other parts of the world, finding out about the beautiful places in Western Australia. And Western Australia is not a very well-known place on the world stage. And a lot of people think about when you say the bush, they think the outback. Yeah. And as we know, that's not the same thing. And in Western Australia, you can drive two hours and you're in thick forest or you can drive in the other direction, beautiful long stretches of white beaches. So there's so much scope in Western Australia. I love it. I love writing about it. That's wonderful. Have you lived there all your life? I've lived in Western Australia since I was six and I came from the UK with my parents. Uh Uh-huh. 
That's great. So what does a typical working day look like for you? So on a typical working day, I'll use, I prefer to write in the afternoons or evenings. I'm not a morning person. So um, I'll usually write in the afternoon, take a break, do some other things, and then write again in the evening. And I try and, and write at least a thousand words every day. But um, some days are taken up with non-writing but writing-related work, if that makes sense. Yes, it does, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I'm usually writing for about three hours a day, two to three hours a day. Do you have to do research into weird subjects sometimes for your stories? Yes, I do. Sometimes I think if you looked at my browser history, <laughs> you'd probably be really worried. <laughs> And um, just for the location, uh, my husband and I will travel down south quite a lot and have a look at the places I'm writing about, even though we've been before, if there's something a little bit new, we go down there and spend a few days and I take lots of photographs and have a, just walk around and soak in the area. So I research the settings quite a lot too. Yes, just make sure you get them right. And stop at the odd winery for lunch while I'm there. <laughs> that sounds that sounds wonderful, but and also I guess I mean are there things like working out what poison would work best or macabre ways of killing people? Is is that all part of it? It is uh, a lot of time spent looking at head injuries, looking at open fractures, um, how that would look, how that would be um, addressed by a doctor, what sort of emergency medical response you'd have to certain injuries, um, things like that. Yeah, there's a lot of that sort of thing, um, you know, about how would you store a body. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and fortunately for me, I know a retired police detective very well, and so I ask him a lot of very weird questions, but he knows what they're for. So uh, Yeah, no, that's great. That's very handy to have that online, isn't it? So handy. <laughs> Look, turning to Anna as reader, I imagine that you probably, as you've mentioned, read the sorts of books that you like to write. Tell us about some of your favourite binge reads. Oh, my favourite binge read recently has been Karen Slaughter. Oh, yes. Uh, the Grant County series. I love that. I've, I think there are six in that series. So if readers are looking for something to binge read, start with Blindsided. That's the first one. And they're absolutely wonderfully written thrillers. And then you can move on from there to the Will Trent series, Karen Slaughter writes. I've read all of those. absolutely love them. And um, I also like Michael Connolly's Harry Bosch series. Yes. Um, at the moment, though, I'm reading Margaret Atwood's The Testaments. Oh, really? Yes. So I recently read The Handmaid's Tale for the first time. Yes. And I was so fortunate that it came out in 1985. I finished reading it and Margaret Atwood released a sequel finally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's oh, very God. dark and disturbing, so it's right up my alley. Yeah, oh, that's great. I'm thinking about police procedurals. At the moment in New Zealand, we've got the Scottish writer, Val Mc Dermot here on a, she's doing three months at one of the New Zealand universities teaching creative writing. Have you come across her work? They are police procedurals, but she's a very fine thriller writer as well. No, I haven't read. I've, I know the name, but I haven't read any of them. 
mm. she she's she might be worth looking at that actual area of police procedural I guess that that's all another very much specialist area isn't it it's it is a, a specialist area and it's quite difficult in Western Australia I mean I might be incorrect here but there's not a lot of information out there on police procedure in Western Australia. Mm-hmm. As I say, I'm fortunate I can ask someone mm-hmm. because when you're writing about how the police investigate, I feel like it has to be authentic. It has to be believable the yes. way they investigate and what they do. And so there's not a lot of places even online where you can find those sorts of things out. About America and the UK, yes, but not Western Australia. No. They've got such a huge um, territory to cover too, haven't they? It's not as if, you know, in some of those big centres, they've got so many crimes happening in a short, in a small space. But (laughs) poor old Western Australia, it goes for thousands of kilometres or miles. That's it. There's so much area to cover and, and Perth is the most isolated city in the whole world. So it's quite different here to how it is in other parts of the world. And while our justice system is based on the British justice system, there are differences in the way the police would handle and approach cases. And and I think for the reader, it's got to be authentic. It has to make sense. Mm. Yep, that's right. Look, we're coming to the end of our time together. So circling around and looking back over your career, did you say six years? You've accomplished a huge amount in six years. Yes. At this stage, if you were doing it all again, is there anything that you would change? Um, I don't think I would change anything I've done really in the last six years. Probably when I was in my 30s, I would have written more, even though, you know, it may not have been published. But I would wish I had those things that I thought about and wanted to write. I wish I had those to look back on and and see what I would have produced when I was younger. Um, but in terms of where I've gone with my books and um, traditional publishing, no, I don't think I would change a thing. I'm quite happy with how it's all worked out. I feel very fortunate. That's fantastic. So what is next for Anna the writer? What projects do you have in the works at the moment? Well, as I say, I'm wrapping up the third in the Lucy Hush series. So I'm right at the end of that. So I'm hoping that will come out by the end of the year, if not early next year. Mm -hmm. And I have an idea that's been bouncing around in my head for another standalone thriller that I'm very eager to start writing. And Lucy Hush, that will be the end of that. Will that be a trilogy or, or are you thinking there might be still more to come? Look, I planned it as a trilogy and I think it will be a trilogy. But these characters, I keep feeling like they have more to say. There's more to their story. So... I'm not ruling out writing a fourth one, but it it would have to be good. It would have to be worth doing and not just to drag the series out longer. It would have to be a really good idea. Yeah, that's an interesting question, actually. um, Do your characters sometimes surprise you in the sense that they just seem to want to refuse to do whatever it is you're thinking that they should be doing next? Does that ever happen? Oh, it happens all the time. I have one thing in mind and it's almost like, the characters and the story has a mind of its own and it goes in a different direction and I'm a little bit surprised by what I have them doing because that's not at all how I saw it happening. How interesting. So how do you <laughs> handle that? Um, it usually is for the better, so I'm usually like, okay, well, yep, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps it interesting for you too. 
it does keep it interesting for me too. And um, the only thing when there's such characters I've become so fond of, it becomes a little bit harder to do something really ruthless. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Yes, it's what do they have that phrase, killing your babies, doesn't That's it? That's it. I yeah. keep thinking about that, kill your babies, and I'm like, oh no, which one? <laughs> <laughs> so, do you like to um, meet with your, engage with your readers? And if so, how do you best do that? And how are they best able to reach out to you? Well, a lot of my readers are in the UK and um, in America. So, I do have people emailing me and messaging me through Facebook, which is lovely. I always love that when readers do that. Um, I have a newsletter as well, which if people would like to join the newsletter, they can find that on my website. Do you have a chance to do many kind of, you know, meetings at libraries or book clubs or that kind of thing? Do you meet people in person much? I have done that. I have travelled down to Collie and places like that for writers' festivals and done a panel and things like that, but a lot of the writing gatherings that go on in my area seem to be a lot of romance writers, and while they're gorgeous and they, I know they would welcome me in, I know they would, my writing's a little bit different from theirs, and I, so I feel like it might not be a good fit. Yes, yes, I, I, I sort of know what you mean. I write mysteries, and I go to the Romance Writers Conference here, and it's really valuable the stuff that um, they, they have with speakers but it, it isn't it isn't quite the same when you're not writing romance no that's it but, but I think um, you're pretty uh, active in writer community yourself aren't you I think do you help with one of the um, writer groups yourself I thought I saw something about that online maybe I was getting muddled up but no that wouldn't be me no <laughs> I'm a bit of a solitary person with my writing. Is that all oh, right? Okay, that's good. But, but I do love hearing from the readers yeah. and I, I have been getting a lot of messages from readers and emails and, you know, I love hearing what they've got to say and even hearing about their lives and I'll tell them about my dogs and it's really nice to connect with people. Yeah, that's lovely. That's great. Look, well, Anna, thanks so much for taking part in this. It's lovely to hear more about your work and um, I've got to get over my terrified response to unwelcome guests and actually finish the story. But I can't do it at night before I go to sleep. So <laughs> A lot of people say that. My best friend says that. I can't read that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Jenny. It's great. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, 
audioservices at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.